Hello, my name is Chandler O'Leary. And my name is Johnny Hatch. Welcome to Bedside Business, a student-run podcast where we talk with physicians about how they use business principles to improve their lives and the lives of their patients. We believe that business is a tool physicians can use to help their patients fight against burnout and make the world a better place. We aim to explore all these topics and more. Our guests today are Colin Hannock and Comfort Orbeo. They are two members of the COSGP, or the Council of Osteopathic Student Government Presidents. We talked to them about what the COSGP is and about a document that they published called the Financial Aid Toolkit. Johnny and I saw this document because it was emailed out to all the schools, and we were both super impressed with the quality and the content of the document. We talked to them about what resources they included in the Financial Aid Toolkit, why they decided to make the financial aid toolkit in the first place, and what they hope that it will accomplish with students. The toolkit is awesome, and we will publish a link to it in our show notes. Hope you enjoy the show. Colin and Comfort, uh, thank you guys for coming out here um, today. So before we get started, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of get some information about you, and I guess we can start with Colin. Can you just kind of give us a bird's eye view of uh, who you are, where you go to school at, and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you actually mind if I throw it to Comfort first? Might as well go with the the ladies first option if that's okay. That is great. All right. Comfort, can you kind of give us a bird's eye view of where you're at, where you go to school and things like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Comfort. I am a third year medical student at Kansas City University. I'm at the Joplin, Missouri campus. Um, I I'm privileged to work here with Colin um, on COSGP, which stands for the Council of Osteopathic Student Government President. Um, I serve as the American, as the liaison to the American Osteopathic Foundation, which is the um, philanthropic arm of the American Osteopathic Association. So many words. Uh, And so it gives me the opportunity to work with both adults and as I like to call them and just us medical students. Yeah and no, I'm uh, I'm Colin Hannock, third year medical student at the Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, the leadership position I currently hold with the Council of Osteopathic Student Government Presidents is the national treasurer also known as the Nicholas Cage position um, and yeah I, I mean outside of uh, you know the logistical on resume, you know, title, um, just a Southern California guy out in Chicago for a few years, uh, just kind of rolling with it. Um, just really passionate guy. I really enjoy, um, you know, just helping people with illness. And so I'm just very fortunate to have been accepted into medical school in the United States of America. And I attend CCUM on the health profession scholarship program through the United States air force. And I'm very passionate about helping, um, you know, our military personnel overseas and stateside. Awesome. So is the, is the Space Force intertwined with the Air Force right now, or are they totally separate? Yeah, uh, so it is separate, and I'm actually very curious to see in the future um, what that looks like from a medical standpoint. So, for example, the Marines don't have any medical personnel. The Navy supply the medical personnel for the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a hunch that that's kind of going to be, uh, 
you know, we'll be able to supply uh, the medical personnel for the Space Force. So we'll see. That'll be pretty cool. We'll have to have you back on uh, live from Mars in a few years. Yeah, I'll still have the same hairline. <laughs> Sweet. So um, can you guys explain what the COSGP is? Uh, that's a long acronym. And um, Comfort already said what it stands for, Council of Osteopathic Student Government Presidents. But what exactly is it, I guess? Comfort, do you want to take this one? Yes. Um, I apologize ahead of time. There will be lots of acronyms as I explain this, but I'll try to say what every single acronym is. But COSGP is the Council of Osteopathic Student Government Presidents, like I said. And it's the official, it's the only official national leadership council that represents all 31,000 plus osteopathic medical students. We are a council underneath the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, which is the double ACOM. And basically, we we strive to represent the student voice. We are the student voice, and we try to make that known. We um, have seats on the board of director of board of trustees of the American Osteopathic Association, which is the AOA. We have people sitting on the AOF, like, like myself, as I explained earlier, and we have students who have liaison positions with the NBOME as well as other organizations that we get the privilege of interacting with to represent, like I said, every single osteopathic medical student. Yeah, and it's um, the way I like to think about COSGP is put it next to SOMA because, you know, so many people, once they start medical school, you know, they're blasted with, you know, the student orgs on campus and a very common one, you know, you find across all DO schools is SOMA. And so SOMA is a membership organization, right? Like you pay your fee. I know the way they got me was, you know, I paid 90 bucks and I got that uh, Atlas Anatomy textbook. You can, you know, um, pay to be a member of CUSGP. So it's, it's interesting because the way, the only way you get involved with CUSGP is holding a student government association position on campus. So SGA positions. Um, so it, when you look at the names of the current members in CUSGP, there's not that many um, because it's only the vice president and president of every single DO school. Now, uh, the mission of SOMA and the mission of CSGP are drastically different, and that's when the differences really come into play. But I like to put those two next to each other because they are two national acronyms that are on all osteopathic campuses. Um, and so really, it just kind of comes down to the seats that we hold um, on the various boards that Comfort talked about. But it's really unique because you know, the reason you reached out to have this conversation is there's a finance doc that got sent to your email with our acronym on it. Right. And you're like, what's going on here? So the reach that CUSGP has is so unique because the way, you know, Comfort and I look at it is, you know, we're up here sitting on a council of uh, Comfort. I think it's 16 people's our executive board. So 16 people. Um, and the way we ran for that executive board is we were all student government presidents or vice presidents of our respective campuses, which is part of, we call the general council of CUSGP. And then there's the executive board at the end of your general council year, which is whenever your SGA term ends on your campus, you can run for the executive board position, which is what Comfort and I did a year ago. Um, and now as sitting on the executive board, we oversee the general council. 
and the general counsel being every single president and vice president of every single SGA at all DO schools. So it's really unique, the reach that we have, because all I did was email your SGA president and vice president along with all other DO schools. And I said, this is a document we need to send out to all medical students. This is very important. And so the reach that we have is just very unique because we have access to all SGAs. And obviously they have access to everybody's email at their school. So when we talk about being the voice of the 31,000, um, you know, when the level two PE was going through the debacle that it was going through, CUSGP put out a survey to get the student voice, right? How are students actually feeling about this? And just because we have that email chain of command, you can just get results so quickly. And then you have published data, you know, to present to the AOA, to present to the MBOME, to AACOM. Um, and whatever other organizations find it important to see what the osteopathic student voice is. Um, and I just think this, I think that this project really highlights the significance that, you know, being on the, the executive board, being in the general counsel holds, because here you are two students who are given that document. Um, and all you were was, you know, essentially uh, just a sitting duck waiting, you know, for an email to be shot to your inbox with some helpful information. So that's kind of the the way we like to think about it. No, I'll admit I'm one of those students that kind of sits back and I'm like student government. I'm sure they do something, but I'm just going to go ahead and do my honky cards, you know, or whatever. But, but it is, it is cool to see the reach that you guys have. And then the advo- the things that you advocate for that we care about, like, um, like, level one or level two physical exam, these things that are very important to us, but we w- wanted to dive in. You, what, as Chandler mentioned, the first reason we heard about you is because of this document, the financial aid toolkit. Can you tell us broadly what this is and what motivated you to make it? Yeah. So, uh, when I was in your exact shoes, uh, about, you know, 12, 13, 14 months ago, when I was starting to figure out if I wanted to run for an executive board position on COSGP, um, and the elections are, are this upcoming weekend. So it was dead smack 12 months ago for me. Um, right. You know, you're, you're heading into board season, you know, it's a busy time. Do you really want to be adding a, an extra position? That's a lot of work. And the position I was going into was going to be front loaded. So, you know, when I was kind of looking at myself in the mirror, I was like, okay, like, why do I really want to do this? Like what's something special about this that I'm passionate about? Because like any leadership position, there's just logistical things that each person does year in and year out. Um, you know, but me, I'm, I'm definitely someone who likes to leave things better than when I got there. Um, and so an idea that I came up with was that I wanted to send out a national document with scholarship information. Um, I attend, as I said, uh, Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine on the HPSP scholarship to the Air Force. Uh, I would, you know, I'm so thankful for that. And uh, the scholarship is something I think about every day. So I just wanted to share information about scholarships. And um, as the year went on and, and I finally started to sit down and really think about what this document was going to be, I realized that, you know what? a lot of students, they too busy to sit and write essays for scholarships, you know, and if, if they're going to seek out, you know, a full ride scholarship or a three-year scholarship, they're probably going to do that. You know, they probably don't need my help. They're probably already interested in that. So, um, what I kind of tailored it towards is thinking about students after they graduate. And that's when you look at the, the sections, um, you know, of the financial aid toolkit, 
Um, it's really just setting students up for success in terms of debt management, loan repayment, loan consolidation. Um, when you look at the list of questions to ask about, you know, your loans, something I think of all the time is, you know, I go to the mechanic and I have no idea what they're talking about. Last week I went to go, you know, for six months, 6,000 miles, get my, my Subaru cross check checked up. The guy comes and finds me. He's like, Hey man, like we need to get a new filter. And is that okay? Like, what am I going to say? No, like I have no idea where that piece even goes. So for me, uh, Verbiage is something that's very important. And so I wanted to provide, you know, information to students when you're looking at the questions to ask, it's specific verbiage that students can utilize because like many things, we don't understand so much of the world. We're only so old at this point, right? We're not that experienced in a lot of things. So um, we really just wanted to help students as they're moving towards the next chapter. And finance is obviously something that's so important to everybody. Um, and so we really just kind of wanted to give people a head start and some helpful resources. That's awesome. I love that, um, what you said about doing a leadership position you're passionate for. Because, you know, there is a really big push for all medical students to do extracurricular things. And sometimes it's tempting just to do things to put them on the resume you know, if you don't care about them, you know, pick the easiest thing you can find to do just so, you know, fill up space on the resume. But like, that's what really keeps things moving forward is when people seek out opportunities they're passionate about and do a really good job um, in those positions, which you guys definitely did um, with this financial aid toolkit. So let's um, kind of talk about it. There's basically four sections and I'll go ahead and read them off because I got them typed up. There's debt management and resources, loan repayment and forgiveness, financial advisors and retirement planning and commonly asked questions. Can you kind of talk about why you decided to choose those four sections? Um, Colin or Comfort can, can take this one. What kind of motivated you guys to pick those topics? Because there's a thousand different topics in personal finance and things like that. Why did you hone in on those four? Comfort and I both collaborated uh, and figured this out. Um, as she will admit, um, you know, this is my project that I pushed her to help me with. Um, you know, cause I didn't want to do it alone and, and she helps me run the finance committee. So I just immediately dragged her in. Um, and so when I was sitting and, and really starting to figure out which sections me not being that, you know, much of a finance connoisseur, especially someone being on, you know, a full scholarship to medical school, who's not going, um, in debt to go to school, it, you know, I was really confused at first of what should I do? And so things kind of started to come organically the deeper I started to research, but it fell beautifully. Um, and really, when I look at debt management, you know, the, the big thing I wanted to accomplish was, with this was what are just a, a one or two websites that students need to go to with all the information? Like, I figured it's got to be out there. And that was studentaid.gov. Um, you know, everything students really need to know is within studentaid.gov. Um, and, you know, this is something interesting that Comfort and I learned with talking with the finance people at Midwestern University that when you look at people on YouTube, when you read blogs, a lot of the content that people get or that people put out, they got that information from studentaid.gov. So once I found that, it was really easy to give double A comma a little plug, give double double AMC a little plug, because there's so much information on those two websites that will help students. Um, and the financial aid debt management modules that double uh, A comma has, both Comfort and I have worked through them and they're fantastic. And double AMC, you know, that website's fantastic as well. I personally think it's a little bit too big of a C and I'm not the best swimmer. So I, I'm, I'm going to keep it simple stupid type guy the kiss and 
Mana sources, really, we just wanted that page specifically to be a one-stop shop for everything um, loans. Um, and then when we look at loan repayment forgiveness program, right, like th- these are just the smartest things you could ever do in your life. And so the PSLF, that's something that's talked about constantly to graduating medical students. A lot of people um, seek that out in which hospitals or, um, you know, programs they can go to to, you know, get their loan forgiven. Um, the National Health Service Corps, that's a very popular one. Um, the AAMC, Comfort actually knew about this one, but the AAMC provides a list of national, state, and, and federal programs for loan repayment forgiveness. So we had to give that a shout out. That's a fantastic resource for everyone from New York to Arizona. Um, and then me, you know, being very passionate about the United States military. Uh, one of the hardest things about finding out how to do the military scholarship is getting in contact with someone. Um, and so a lot of people can't find the websites, you know, they, they can't get in contact with the recruiter. So those websites right there, just plug people in. So debt management, loan repayment, forgiveness, those two, um, I think it started probably off as one idea, but it definitely got separated into two. These are super important as well. In this document, you have listed that the median medical school debt in 2019 was $200,000, which is, you know, one-fifth of a million. And I think that number increases if you take DO schools alone. I'm pretty sure it's higher. Um, So you talked about loan repayment. Comfort, can you tell us a little bit about financial advisors and retirement planning? Yeah. So this is actually super important to me because this was something I started exploring. So I, I realized that not even though a lot of students take out federal government loans, not a lot of, because of weird DO schools, a lot of us are private and a lot of us are new. So we don't, so some of us do not qualify for federal student loans. So that means we have to take out private loans. Um, Luckily, my school covers for some, but schools like ICOM that are just starting out, they, they don't have federal funding yet, so they have to use private loans. And the way, like, sometimes you can't navigate federal student loans with PSLF and all that um, because it just doesn't work. So how do you navigate having this much student debt and that's when the financial advisor comes in. I, I remember sitting in a lecture and learning about when is the best time in medical school or in residency to get a financial advisor. And I thought that was something super important that people need to know because we all know a lot of doctors aren't really great with spending money. And even though we make so much money, we still live paycheck to paycheck, which is crazy to think about because we sit in the top 10% of the American wealth. So I think that was super important to have there. And also it's never too early to start planning for retirement. I know we haven't even started making money yet, but even just knowing and having those resources with us helps so, so much for us in the future. So we can start having our minds turning or how to Colin, how do you say, how do you say that? Just getting the wheels turning. That's the word for it. <laughs> Just getting those wheels turning for the future. That way, you know. Real and quick, real quick, planting seeds. That's all we're trying to do with this section. We're trying to plant seeds and just water it over time. We're trying to see it blossom. 100%. And then for the frequently asked questions, it was just questions that... Um, I contacted some people at our school, just like, what questions do fourth years usually have? Or what questions do they call back and ask for? And how do we, like, what do they want 
to know. Usually when they're calling their financial aid office or they're doing that exit counseling, uh, what kind of questions do they have? And that's kind of why, where those questions came from. It was just, what do typical students who we, whose shoes we will be in ask for? Yeah, I love the, um, the frequently asked questions page because a really key point with all this financial planning stuff is there's no one size fits all advice. It's all kind of up to the individual person to set your own goals for this. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to set your own goals, but you can't just let things passively happen to you financially. That's how you hear about people getting in these awful situations where you're like, how did this person get into this crazy financial situation, lose all their money, live paycheck to paycheck as a, you know, 20 year senior physician. They didn't actively choose that pathway. It just kind of happened to them. Um, and you can avoid a lot of that just by being curious and, and asking some questions. So we can kind of bounce around the document. We don't have to stay in one section at a time. Um, but what do you guys think was your favorite uh, frequently asked question? Do you have one from, from that that you, you think is really important? That's a good question. Real quick, just to go back though, you know, when I do, you know, because we are going to be, you know, 20 year senior physicians, right? Like we're, we're all probably going to have families and, and be able to pay for some great things. And I, I constantly think about ego, you know, like on a day-to-day basis. So it's just something I think about every day, walking into the hospital, to the clinic, whatever, just like leave the ego at the door. You're here to learn. Um, and with our career path, we are so specialized, whether you're becoming a family medicine physician or a pediatric neurosurgeon, like we are a very specialized field. Um, and we put so much of our time and energy to learning that specialized thing that not a lot of people are interested in doing anything else. Um, and so all of a sudden when you're done with your training and you're 34, you know, and that ego is just so cooped up. You really don't want to ask. And so it's, it's interesting because I, I I think it, I think when we think about finance and maybe just asking our parents, our aunts and uncles questions, it's always so humbling because we know nothing. You know, we really don't, we're so young. We have to learn medicine, finance, everything, but comfort. What do you think? Do you have a favorite question? Um, I, I don't think favorite question, but one of the questions that I, I, I really, loved was the which repayment plan is right for me because before this I knew nothing about repayment plans I knew I didn't know that there was a way that you could simulate your loans and figure out what works best for you and what works best for others like I thought there was just two different forms and that's it that's all you got um and so to be able to find that on studentaid.gov and be able to like plug in your own personal numbers and figure out and put in the things that you want for your lifestyle or that will be your lifestyle when you graduate from medical school was so amazing to find out. So I would say that might be my favorite question or like most, most, um, I lost the word. I'm sorry for that. Um, that would be my most highest yield question. My highest yield question. Well, I'm going to have to go look at that because one thing that always intimidates me is the difference between all the different loan repayment programs like the PSLF and all the acronyms kind of freak me out. So I'm going to have to go look at that. But to that point, what for me at least, one of the things we talk about a lot as doctors is there's medical Ill- illiteracy, right? Like we have patients who come in and we tell them that they have 
you know, serous cystadenoma carcinoma of the ovaries or whatever. And they're like, okay, I have no clue what that means. Does that mean I'm going to live till I'm 93? Or does that mean I have six months left? And, and it, that's when it's really nice to have somebody in on the encounter that understands the medical terminology to be a liaison between the physician and the patient, right? Like it's great for me to go to my in-laws and be able to explain medicine to them in in a in an informal way and i think that's the value for physicians in learning financial terms is if we are financially illiterate then we won't be able to take advantage of loan forgiveness programs where all of our debt is white free or we may um and and we don't really need to be completely literate and financial experts if we get a financial advisor, right? But if we don't have some base level of knowledge, we can be taken advantage of by a financial advisor. So I I love the idea that you both have mentioned of understanding these terminology, this terminology, this verbiage, and then essentially just getting your feet wet and learning a little bit at a time so that you can so that you can really focus on what you want to focus on, which is practicing medicine to the best of your ability. Absolutely. And, and, you know, even just to tie that in and to make a parallel, I was thinking about this today. Like when I go to, you know, when I go on a residency, that's what, 13, 14 months from now, and I'm going to need to find a new primary care physician. How am I going to do that? Um, I'm going to ask around. And when you look on financial advisor retirement planning section, the third link down five ways to partner with the physician friendly financial advisor, it says exactly that. Ask around other doctors at the hospital. Hey, what are some good financial advisors? I know for me, I went into medicine. Like one of the reasons I went into medicine was to be a teacher. I, I, I'm not here to tell you you have, you know, like carcinoma. I'm explaining everything that, you know, and, and really teach you whatever that may be. And I know for a fact that one day, whenever I hire a financial advisor, I'm going to express to them from day one that they're going to need to be a teacher. And if they are, you know, like not the vibe, it's same thing as shopping around for a doctor. I'm out of there. Me and my family are not coming back here. We all have those classmates that we're going to keep tabs on and make sure we never send anyone to them. And it's the same thing with financial advisors, you know? So I think it's interesting because you're right. When we talk about ego, when we talk about verbiage, when we talk about illiteracy, whether it be auto finance, medicine, whatever, we need, we all need someone to teach us some stuff when we're there. Like we're paying you a service, dude, you know, like help me out. Don't just speak to me in mumbo jumbo. So I think there's a lot of parallels. Yeah, and I love that. And if someone can't explain, especially a financial advisor can't explain to you what's going on in a way that you as a doctor can understand, they're probably doing something shady. Like, you know, there needs to be some level of transparency. And a reoccurring theme we see in a lot of these episodes is this financial stuff is a lot more easy to grasp than, you know, some of the stuff in medicine. But like Colin mentioned earlier, intelligence in one domain doesn't cross apply to other domains necessarily. Just because you're a good doctor doesn't mean you know how to do finance at all. But that doesn't mean you can't figure it out. That's one thing I love about the training that we have as physicians is in undergrad, you get training in biology and then you get chemistry and then you get physics. And it's like, and you have like some calculus maybe and some statistics. And it's like, who else learns physics and chemistry and biology? You know, you learn it all. And, 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 uh, not to, not to say that physician is the best profession, 
But it's just it just just goes to show that there is we can still learn about finance. We we can still shove one more thing in our overcrowded brains. One thousand percent. Hundred percent. And I think it's so important. That was something and that's what drew me to finance is just to know, like just to understand, even if it's base knowledge. Base knowledge about my money, my loans, and the things that affect me. It's a little selfish, but I think if it's affecting you and it's something that is going to affect your future and the lives of your family, if you choose to have one, then maybe you should learn about it. So that was what motivated me to start learning all this terminology and get that financial literacy and read all the books and listen to all the podcasts. So at least have an idea about my money. And I think um, at some level, these things are all related directly to patient care. Just like as an extreme example, if you are crazy in debt, living paycheck to paycheck as a doctor, do you think a lot of your energy and focus is going to be able to be spent on taking care of your patients? No, your attention is going to be divided. You're going to be in a bad mood. And um, so, yeah, I just think it's really important. And if you have trouble motivating yourself to stay interested about this stuff, just realize that it is very easily connected directly to your ability to care for patients and, and probably burnout too. If we could, I want to circle back to one thing that comfort was talking about is, is like taking ownership of these loans. Um, I, I think it's really cool because there's things that we can do on a national level to advocate for, you know, loan forgiveness or different methods to help us as physicians but regardless of what happens politically, we can take ownership and make an improvement in our own personal lives. And that's, it's a very empowering perspective. Comfort, I did want to ask you, you mentioned some podcasts. What are your favorite go-to podcasts to learn financial literacy? Because I, I think we all have our favorites. And I won't be embarrassed if you admit ours is your favorite, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. This is my favorite. Uh, I, <laughs> I also really enjoy the financial residency. I think it's an awesome resource, especially because it's physician focused. So I always plug them in, but they're only second to y'all. <laughs> no, I've heard great things about financial residency. Colin, do you have any uh, outside resources that you like to take advantage of to learn um, about financial literacy? No, not yet. Um, it's, uh, you know, this year has been so hyper-focused on a few big things, um, you know, and outside of, you know, it, uh, the trial that I have, them being geared towards let's learn a little bit of medicine and then the other one just like mindless hockey podcasts and then getting home and trying to get some exercise, prepare some healthy food, get to bed early you know, and then all the, um, the stuff to all the energy to put forth to develop this document, you know, no, there, there's nothing specific yet for me. It's a little bit of a back burner and I'm really excited when things start to slow down because in my mind, it's like once after, you know, like interview season ends, like next year, I'm really excited to start researching financial advisors, you know, depending on where I'm going in the country and kind of figure that out and then start to uptick in that. So for me, I've put it on the back burner in terms of leisurely listening or reading certain things. Hockey's definitely priority. Yeah, for sure. If, if it's a bit more mindless at the end of the day, and I don't know if yeah. I don't understand the language yet. I agree. So you guys had a um, 
quote, and we kind of already touched this, touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, the quote says, hashtag goals, don't be broke. And it's so simple and catchy, uh, great, great PR. Uh, but I just love that idea of don't be broke because like we were talking about earlier, you are limiting yourself so much. And I kind of wonder if a lot of the um, burnout that you see among physicians, how much of that is related to poor financial management. And not like it's necessarily the physician's fault, you know, it's not like they're actively making bad decisions. These things, bad financial decisions happen very easily in a very passive manner if you if you let them. Um, yeah, did you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, we, Comfort and I, I'm going to speak for both of us right now. We are not the most creative people when it comes to making this type of document. And so that is where uh, Comfort and I love being part of a team because when you ask for help, there's so many people willing to help you, especially kind of like we talked about earlier when you're surrounded by, you know, passionate people. Um, so we we put the reins in our... Um, ooh, Comfort, do you know her her title, Katie's? It's National Legislative Affairs Representative. Yeah, yeah, a lot of words. So Katie Marney, our National Legislative Affairs Rep from uh, Oklahoma's DO school, um, she designed this. And when she sent it back to us and was like, all right, like, what do you guys think of the first draft? That's where that came from. <laughs> so we thought that that was so fantastic because we had nothing to do with any part of the design. So that was all her... Yeah, the design's actually really good. That's why I, I reached out to you guys. Um, not like I wouldn't have if the design was bad, but it definitely adds some legitimacy to it, you know. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful document. And so every um, DO student across the country basically um, was emailed about this document. Is that right? All 31,000, absolutely. Jeez, I did not know there were that many of us. That's a lot. Yeah, it's definitely unique. So this is just kind of circling back because you guys have said a couple of things that have been, I've been dwelling on in my mind. Comfort, you mentioned that ICOM is the Idaho College of Osteopathic Medicine. It's not fully accredited yet. And I didn't realize that that meant that they can't take out federal student loans and that they have to take out all private loans. Um, but I think that's, uh, we probably don't have any pre-med students listening to this, but if you're considering going to a school that's in pre-accreditation, that might be something to consider. Um, and the reasons being is, from my understanding, is federal student loans, you can only take out a certain amount, but that amount is usually a lower interest rate than uh, private student loans. And then you can also, with those federal, federal student loans, those can be forgiven, but private student loans can't be forgiven. You can still pay them off, right? And you might pay them off faster than it would take you to get your loans forgiven, but that's just something to consider when making that decision as a pre-med student. Um, and then also, one thing I like about this is you guys are talking about you know loan repayment. One factor that I think is hard to remember as med students because it's kind of like monopoly money is every dollar we take out now is really like three or four dollars that we need to pay back in the future because of interest. So. The more you can do to reduce your spending now, the less money you'll have to pay back as an attending later on. Sweet. So before we wrap up, did you guys have any other points that uh, you wanted people to know about the document or anything else? I can go first. Uh, it's important. And 
I, I'm going to say, speak for both of us, that the most important part of this is to plant a seed. Um, and I think students shouldn't like feel the need that, okay, this document was sent to me today. I have to learn every single thing and click on every single link right this second or start panicking. But it's just to get those wheels turning, um, just to give you an idea. Here's something to think about for your future. It might not be now because you're worried about step one or you're about to go in and dedicate it, or you're still figuring out med school as a first year, or you're trying to focus on applying to residency. It might not be the number one focused of you right now, but it's there as a resource for sometime in the future when you do have that relaxed time and you're just chilling and you just want to focus on your finances. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, comfort. I was just thinking about the message that we sent out along with the document. And, and it was exactly what you said, where, you know, we wanted to keep it short. We wanted to keep it sweet, you know, and as, as second year med students love saying high yield and, you know, and exactly like what comfort said, you know, with the message, we said, there's a lot to digest within this document, just like with any difficult task, gaining more well-rounded understanding of your financial situation will take time and effort. And that's never something that my parents said to me. That's never, you know, something that anyone said to me, but it's so true. You know, it's not an overnight thing. It's just like, you know, um, you know, conquering micro, it takes a long time and a lot of energy, um, you know, and then with that message, you know, Comfort and I do not expect every single, all 31,000 download this document, put it in a special folder and hold on to it. But when we were really thinking about the reach that we have with this, you know, if 10 students from each class, you know, from each school, that those numbers add up pretty quick. You know, that's a few thousand people. And so that's, you know, it, it only took 300 to take down, you know, a pretty significant army, you know, back in the day. And so we figured that if we could get a few thousand people to find at least one helpful piece of information from this document, then we made a difference in some people's lives. And, and that's comforting to think about. It's comforting to think about. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. Um, because another thing we talk a lot about in this podcast is side projects that physicians do. And there's this false uh, dichotomy running in people's heads a lot of time that if you're not doing, if you're not reaching everybody, then something's not worth it. But that's not how things work. You know, change and things like that happen incrementally. So if you're just reaching a few people, you know, that's something you'd be proud of. And I think you guys have definitely done it um, with this. I know I got a lot out of it and I know quite a few people at our school. have gotten a lot out of it, too. So where can people go? Um, to learn more about you, to download the document? Um, do you guys have any social media links or anything? That's a good question. Um, no, we don't. Um, what my idea was, uh, kind of like I mentioned earlier, we're always trying to leave things better than when we got there. So this is just a bit of a tradition that the, the National Treasure has now is making sure this document gets sent out annually. But um, thank you for planting that seed in my mind. Uh, that's something I'll bring up this weekend at our meeting with the incoming student government presence. So the first years becoming second years uh, throughout this summer to make sure maybe that they can send this out biannually or something or or give it a resource on each campus. So we appreciate that. Yeah, um, we don't have one specifically for financial stuff, but we do have an Instagram account for COSGP that, and a Twitter account that you guys can follow. Tanner uh, Beckett-Siever is our um, 
PR person right now. What is her official title? Now that I've forgotten. <laughs> and she is amazing. Amazing. Everything she touches, I swear, turns to gold. Um, and she's also really beautiful, too. So it's a bonus. Um, and our social media handles are at COSGP, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And people can keep tabs on what we are doing. Um, even send messages to us if they have concerns or something or if they want to be part of something or they are thinking of something. Uh, and I'm sure that we would love to hear from you guys. We want more people to know we're out here. We'll put those links in our show notes. And then we'll also, if we'll try and find a link for the handout um, that we can link directly. And if not, we'll just throw it up on our website and link it there on our website, just so that some people have a place to go to download it. If they trashed it, which I'm so trash email, Justin will throw it up on our website. Well, Colin and Comfort, thank you guys uh, so much for making this document and being willing to talk about it and get the news out there about uh, financial literacy to future doctors. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on, guys. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much.